0: We'd stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Uh, those of you that are at home, we're going to be in Galatians chapter three, uh, ver- <coughs> excuse me, verses ten through fourteen, and also uh, the same book chapter five, verses one through six. Uh, our series is called Liberty and Li- Life and Liberty, and so this is the third sermon of that series. And um, today we're, we're we're kind of we're we're going to open. Um, the topic on, on law and grace, um, it's, it's a very convoluted topic, actually, when you start thinking about it. A lot of people have different opinions about the law of God and the grace of God and, and, and how all this works together. And so um, hopefully I can bring some more, um, uh, I can muddy the waters a little bit more for you. I'm just kidding. I want to try to bring as much clarity to this topic as possible. And so it might sound simplistic, but it's done on purpose so that we can strip away everything we need to strip away so that we can understand um, the, the relationship between law and grace. Uh, and and faith you're going you're going to see how it all works together God willing so let's let's try Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith now when you read that you immediately just you, you just want to throw out the law, you're like the law doesn't exist. We don't. We're not under the law, right? That's what Paul's saying. I mean, on the surface, that's what that's what you're reading. Then, then verse twelve says the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that he, blessing given to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, I'm gonna point that out to you, that's very important, very important. By faith, we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. By faith, we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to uh, chapter five, verses one through six. It says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now we we broke down what freedom is last week, right? We we discovered no one's free. No one's free, right? You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. We 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 are we are. And I don't want to re-preach that sermon, but but that's what he's saying here. He says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And the yoke of slavery is referring to sin. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, now we start understanding what the law is, is representing here. If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to everyone, every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Those are strong words. You've fallen away from grace. For through the spirit we eagerly await by, there's a word again, faith that righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is, what? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts that Paul says. It's, 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 let's see if we can unpack this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. God, as every one of us have our, our challenges in life, God, we, we, you know our struggles, you know where we are. But Lord, regardless of, of what we might be facing, I pray for every person in this room that our faith will remain strong in you, God. Our trust will remain strong in you. God, no matter what it is that comes against our life, whether it's the, the economic stress, whether it's a, a physical stress or spiritual stress, God, our faith will remain strong. Paul says, nothing counts but faith expressed in love. And God, we we want our faith to be strong. We thank you. Give us clarity. Give us the the simplicity of your word, Lord God, give us the ability to, to have revelation and understand what, what you want us to learn today. <clears throat> in your holy name we pray, amen and amen. Well, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord uh, this morning. We, we've been teaching what it means to be free with respect to the biblical point of view. Uh, we talked about freedom uh, for the last couple of weeks. And, and our approach every Sunday has been, what does freedom look like from a biblical point of view, not a secular point of view? Because when we mention the word freedom, we immediately have this political idea of freedom. And the freedom that the Bible is talking about is spiritual freedom, freedom uh, to, to live a righteous life. And so that's our angle, that's our approach. And we're gonna continue that today. We, we have We have learned that... Freedom doesn't really mean free. Um, <clears throat> we either are slave to sin, as Paul would say, or we're a slave to righteousness. In other words. Um, we, we belong just to, to, to one or the other and we talked about the, the harsh words of Jesus remember because we were talking about John chapter 8 Jesus's words to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in John chapter 8 he says he says you are you're like your father who is a liar a murderer who who, who has all this all these issues right and he's like and that's what he he, he aligned their behavior with with the enemy, with Satan, with Lucifer. And and so we quickly recognize that you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There's no there's no in-between. There's no in-between. And so Paul says it this way in Romans chapter six verse eighteen: he says, I've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It's very clear. Here's the freedom part. We get to decide. We get to decide whether we wanna be a slave to sin or we wanna be a slave to righteousness. It's our choice. And if we wanna be a slave to righteousness, then it involves our faith. It involves us coming into a relationship and alignment with God, and then we become righteous through our faith. The debate between law and grace is centuries old. This is nothing new. Um, You'll see we have people standing on one side of of the topic. It's all grace, all grace, all grace. And then we have people standing on the other side of the topic. It's all law. This is what you have to do. You have to obey this, obey that, obey this, right? And we have people that embrace kind of both doctrines. They're kind of in the middle of the road. Whatever side you might stand on, that's that's not my my, uh, position today is try to convince you you of uh, my position is to maybe give you some new insight to to where we should stand and and that's uh, we must stand and embrace the biblical idea of transformation through the blood of Jesus Christ that's where that's where we should land is am i being transformed through my faith in Jesus Christ and the blood that saves me, right? So it's not, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all grace and I'm all law. It should be, are, are we seeing transformation in our life through the blood of Jesus? That comes through faith. I love the way Spurgeon has he he dealt with this in the in the 19th century. This is from one of his sermons on law and grace. Um, and he says this. He says there is no point upon which men make greater mistakes than upon the relation which exists between the law and the gospel. And that gospel is is an idea for grace, right? Some men put the law instead of the gospel. Others put the gospel instead of the law. Some modify the law and the gospel and preach neither law nor gospel. And others entirely abrogate the law by bringing bringing in the gospel. Many many there are who think that the law is the gospel and teach that men by good works of benevolence, honesty, righteousness, and and sobriety may be saved. Such men do an error. Oh my goodness! I mean, he—he. He, this is not. This is not a new challenge for the church. This this idea of long grace has been going on for centuries, and you can see that that Charles Spurgeon is addressing it. And he continues, he says, on the other hand, many teach that the gospel is a law, that it has certain commands in it by obedience to which mere or excuse me, by obedience to which men are meritoriously saved. Such men err from the truth and understand it not. A certain class maintain that the law and the gospel are mixed and that partly by observance of the law and partly by God's grace, men are saved. These men understand not the truth and are false teachers. Thought-provoking, thought-provoking. That's why it's important for us as a church to understand how these two doctrines, how these two um, topics in scripture are coexisting. Whether you believe it or not, there's a harmonious relationship between law and grace. There is. I know we live in a day and age where, where grace is just everything's about grace, but there's a harmonious relationship about law and grace. And we also have that school of thought where people, they they have this legalistic idea of Christianity. All the things you should do, right? All the things that you should not do, and and so, and we can get ourselves in trouble really quick going through that list, right? You, you can talk about, you know, Easter and Christmas and things like that. And then we become very legalistic. Like, oh, if you do those things, then you are not, you're not a Christian, right? If you go to a movie, not so much these days, but when I was growing up, it's like, Christians weren't allowed to be seen at a movie theater or with a deck of cards in their hands and don't dare not put dominoes in your hands, right? It's like those, those things were, were associated with a, with a sinful and wicked life. So here's the challenge I wanna present to you. Are we called to live by the law of Moses or by the grace that comes through faith? I think that's the question. I think everything boils down to that. Are we called to live by the law of Moses or are we to live by grace that comes through faith? And, and the standard response, every time I get into a, a conversation with people about law and grace, nine out of 10, people are going to say grace. Their response is, we're going to live out of grace because that's, they read scriptures like I just read to you out of Galatians, and they hear Paul's words say, listen, if you live by the law, then you are cursed and you've alienated yourself from, the law, from, from Jesus. And so they have this, this surface level idea of what the law really is. But let's, let's bring it home for a moment Let's say you try to live <laughs> Outside our, our, our laws here in America Is it possible? Well sure it's possible But then you're going to get yourself in trouble You, you can't do it you can't live outside of the laws that we have as a society. If you want to go steal something, you're going to go to jail. If you want to go, you know, beat up someone, you're going to go to jail. If you want to, if you want to, I don't know, do something that's illegal, speeding. If you want to speed, you, you won't go to jail, but, but you're going to get a ticket. You violated the law. You have to live by the law. And so when we say, oh, I'm going to live by grace and grace alone, then, and we're just going to completely throw out the law, well, then that's what Spurgeon is saying. Like, like people don't understand. You, you can't just throw out the law and you can't just have grace. There's this harmonious relationship that happens through Scripture about the law and grace. And, and, and here's... So if I can paint this picture for you, if I can say there's law, there's grace, can I tell you the bridge is faith? Can I tell you the bridge is faith? And, and, and you're gonna understand that more as we unpack this. And so, and so if faith is the bridge, then, then here's, here's what Paul says in, in, in the scripture that I read to you. At the very end, he says, the only thing that counts, which is my first point, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressed in love, right? Paul says it, he tells us. And the people, so let me give you some background here. The people of Galatia, Paul's, he, you know he's a missionary, right? So he goes and he plants churches and he's, and he's spreading the word of God. And um, <clears throat> there was this huge debate about Paul even being an apostle, Paul even having the right to teach um, the, the, the teachings of Jesus, because to be an apostle, one of the criterias was there was this direct relationship with Jesus, Right? And so, Paul, he, he, he handles that debate very well, if you read through his works. He handles why he calls himself an apostle, because he gets a revelation, not from man, but from Jesus Christ himself, right? And so, and so we see now Paul rises to the surface here, and he's now the apostle, the, the, the preacher, if you will, the pastor to the Gentiles, a whole group of people that are now going to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ at this time, right? We know it as the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know it as Christ crucified and resurrected, right? Hadn't been written yet. Paul's writing it. He's living through it. So he goes to this, this, one little, this one little city and it's called Galatia and there's these Gentiles there and, the, and they were pagans. They, they lived as pagans and so that meant that, that they had all kinds of gods. They, they believed in multiple gods and so here's Paul trying to teach them, listen, if you want to believe in the real God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, this is the way to do it. It's through faith. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and you shall be saved. That's what he's teaching them. And so these groups of people are now brought into the family of God and they meet another group of people that are part of the family of God. And the other group of people that are part of the family of God are the Jews who have history with God They have all the the religious uh, practices that have been given to them by Moses and the prophets. So you have this group of people who have have this history and this knowledge about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then you have this other group of people who have no idea. So they come into the flock, and then this group of people immediately tell them, okay, so now that you're saved, this is what you have to do. You have to be circumcised. And Paul, he's 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 losing his mind on this. It's like, why do you have to be circumcised? Well, again, I feel like we're 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 in a little lecture class, but I, I think it's good. It's good for us, right? So he, here's the thing. He says you have to. The Jews are telling them, right, that you have to be circumcised to be part of the family of God. Why? Why did they tell him that? Well, that goes all the way back to Abraham. Do you remember when God told Abraham, hey, Abraham, I have a covenant for you. And in this covenant, there's, there's going to be a sign of the covenant. And the sign of the covenant is this token, right? He tells them that in Genesis. You can read it for yourself. And so here's the sign of the covenant. You're gonna have to circumcise all of the males, all, all the men in your, in your clan, even the foreigners, those that live with you, they're part of you. They're gonna get circumcised. That's the sign that you're part of the covenant. Now, if you're a Jewish person or a Hebrew, right, you're growing up with the sign of the covenant, and so every male in your in your household is circumcised, and now you have the Gentiles trying to come in, and they're going, wait, you can be part of the family of God. There's not a problem with that, but you have to be circumcised, and Paul's like, no, you can't, because that's not, that's not why Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die so that our hearts, The faith in our hearts towards Jesus and who he is being the son of God (laughs) removes us from having to practice. So that's the issue. That's the challenge. That's where we are in Galatians right here is is they, they want these new believers to be circumcised. That's what they want. Like, yeah, be part of the family of God, come in, but you have to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, you don't have to be circumcised. That's why the only thing that counts is faith. He's like, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has no value to God. Value in what in what way? He's meaning spiritual value it has no value to get you to heaven. In other words, you could be circumcised and not get to heaven. You could be uncircumcised and get to heaven. Like that's what Paul's trying to teach them, and that is what he's teaching them. And so for us that are reading the scriptures, we're going, oh, that means the law is bad. The law is no good. Well, let's get acquainted with with the law for a minute, right? And and here's the, here here's here's the original the original uh, law, and that's the Ten Commandments, right? We get. That on Mount Sinai, right? The children of Israel come out of Egypt, and here's what God says to Moses when he's there on the mountain, He says, "Thou shalt not have no other gods before me, right? Boom, thou shalt not make a graven image. So now God's laying down the covenant, the law that He wants to have with His people. Thou shalt not take the name of the, Lord's, uh, the, the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath. keep it holy he says, honor your father and your mother. He says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. And so when you look at the 10 commandments, you you see that you can divide them into two categories, the relationship with God and relationship with others, right? First five, deal with God. Second five, deal with the relationship with others. Now, after reading the 10 commandments to you, Thou shalt not have no other God before me, thou shalt not make a graven image, thou shalt not take the name the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, you shall not kill, don't commit adultery, and don't steal. I feel like we're missing one. So don't covet. You look at that. What part of that are you going to throw away? What part of that law are you not going to obey? You should have no image before God. You shouldn't use His name in vain, right? You should honor the Sabbath. <laughs> hey, hey, you don't. You don't. You should honor your parents. You should. You should uh, not steal. Not commit adultery. Not covet. Right. Like, tell me what part of that law are we to throw away? Are you not to obey? You can't, we can't. Because when we look at this, we go, that's the moral code. That's the law that we're to obey. In fact, when you look at that, you're like, my goodness. So then what is Paul trying to say that we're not under the law anymore because, because you can't do away with this. You have to honor that. You have to look at the 10 commandments and go, that is 10 laws that God had given the people and we're not to do away with that. There's no way that you can convince me that we're to not obey the 10 commandments just because we live under grace. Because You are. So here, so here, let me unpack it a little bit more for you. So so the, com, the commandments in the Old Testament, they, they, we can divide them easily. So there's the civil laws that God has for his people, right? And then there are the ceremonial laws that God has for his people. And then there's the moral laws that God has for his people. So you take these, all these laws derive out of the 10 commandments. And then all of a sudden through the years and the decades, just the way we do it, we we, we get involved in, in trying to make things better for god and we start adding all this other things that we're supposed to do and not do and and and, and you can read the laws in, in, in leviticus and numbers and deuteronomy you can read them you can go study them there there's over there's 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 over 600 jewish laws i think in the old testament don't quote me on that but but there's 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 these laws that they're supposed to obey Right. So you have you have the civil laws, right? The the laws that, that deal with the the culture of Israel and, and you know everything from murder to, to restoration if you if you've been wronged, right? There's the ceremonial laws which deal with the sacrifices and the foods that you're not supposed to eat and how you're supposed to wash your hands and how you're supposed to supposed to approach God, and then there's the moral laws, which you can see come out of the Ten Commandments, and how you're supposed to interact with one another. So when Paul's talking about circumcision, he's talking about the, the ceremonial laws and, this, and, and the civil laws that, that, that they're trying to make the Gentiles follow. He's not talking about the 10 commandments. It's not what he's referring to. In fact... What supports that is Matthew chapter five, verse 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. These are the very words of Jesus. Jesus, if he wanted to, if there was anyone who could have abolished the law and anyone that could really lay the groundwork for Paul, it would have been Jesus. And what does he say? He's like, I I didn't come to do away with this. Because that's the law of God. That's what God wanted us to do or wanted the children of Israel to live. That's how he wanted them to live. And And Jesus came to uphold it. That means he followed the civil laws. That means he followed the ceremonial laws. That means Jesus followed the moral laws of the Jewish culture. He didn't come to do away with that. No, not at all. In fact, he heightens it. What does he do? He says, listen, the law says do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you so much look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. The law says do not murder. But I'm telling you, if you so much hate your brother, You've committed murder. Jesus didn't do away with the law, not even close. What he did is he said the, the law is, is in our life to show that we are actually sinners. It shows us that we have fallen from, from our relationship with God. It's the backdrop of our life when you look at it. That's what Jesus said not in so many words, but when you study him, it's like, my goodness, if I so much look at a woman and I've lost, I've committed this, this adultery in my heart. He's saying, listen, it's, it's, it's not about the actions alone, but it's about the attitude. It's about what's going on in here and in your mind. Jesus really points that out when he says, you, you hate your brother, you've committed murder. He really pointed out. Like there's no other way to interpret that other than the fact that Jesus cares about my, my thought life. He cares about my emotions. He cares about how I am interacting with one another. And we're to throw that away based on what we read out of Galatians. Let's read it again. In, in Galatians, he says he says this, Says, let yourself be circumcised. If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ has no value to it at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law by become alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. From for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. It's the only thing. So I wanna wanna tell you and teach you here that in Galatians, Paul's not referring to the law that we read from the 10 commandments. He's referring to some ceremonial laws that, that require all males to be circumcised. Because they think that if you're circumcised, that immediately puts you in right relationship with God by actions, by traditions of men. And Paul's saying, no, it doesn't. What puts you in right relationship with God is your faith. Your faith puts you in right relationship with God, not your actions. Are you with me? That's, that's I think that's as simple as it can possibly be. So, so it's and I repeat this and I say it all the time, but I'm gonna repeat it again here is faith is the currency of heaven. If if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going if we're calling ourselves born again, if we've had the born-again experience, it is through faith. The Bible teaches that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It says it in Hebrews. Hebrews 11 says without faith it is impossible to please God. And so faith faith is what is what helps us understand the harmonious relationship between law and grace because Jesus didn't do away with the law, he fulfilled the law. Jesus didn't say, "Hey, the law says you can steal now or you can't steal. Now grace says you can live any way you want." No, not at all. They they work together. There's this, there's this spiritual harmony harmonious relationship between the law and grace. And, and faith is, is, what, is what's helping us understand that. Here's, here's, here's the second point. Is so the first point was, was the only thing that counts. And the only thing that counts is faith. So here's the second point, right out of the same passage of scripture, is, is faith expressed. Expressing expressing itself through love, the expression of faith, and this is important to me because I, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of misunderstanding with with the expression of faith. Um, so James, the half brother of Jesus, he write, he writes in his letter, he writes a, a a what I would what I would call a chilling passage of scripture for all those people who are on this idea of, of I'm just going to live by grace and grace alone and I have I, I'm, in, I'm in the kingdom I'm done just because just I believe I'm done so, so as you can see I'm presenting both sides of these arguments we're going to land in the middle in a minute here so here, here's what James says. He says what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, says, What good is that? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not that if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the devils believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And here's his, here's his um, illustration. Here's the evidence. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures was fulfilled to say, Abraham believed God and it was a credit to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by just faith alone. My goodness, scripture is so good. You can, you can take both of these scriptures, both of these scriptures, the one from Galatians and the one from James, and you can go, man, they really contradict each other. They really do. You know, you're, you're, you're not supposed to live by the law, and you're not supposed to do things by deeds. You can't get into the kingdom of God by deeds. But here's, here's James saying, man, if you have no deeds, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Right? So here's, here's the challenge. If we're going to be good students of the word of God, if we're going to be good scholars of the word of God, you have to keep everything in context. You have to keep everything aligned to, to what each author is trying to communicate to their recipients. And that is so important for us. If we try to t- say, well, James said this and Paul said this, well, what's happening in Galatia and what's happening in Jerusalem that that, that James is writing? What's going on, right? So it's So critical for us to understand that because they're not contradicting each other. In fact, if you look at at Paul's writing, he points us to faith. He says, it's all about faith. It's not, it's not about works or deeds or circumcision or any type of ceremonial law that you can follow or civil law that you can follow that gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is faith. That's why he says, what matters most is faith expressed by love. And here's James saying the same thing. He's like, if you, truly have faith in God then you're going to have works out of your life. And that is so critical for us to understand because he says believing is not enough. How does he say that? Why does he say that? Well, it's 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 kind of scary when you look at it. He says he says in verse 19. I don't know if you can put that back up. Slide 34 to 38, verse 19. Uh he says You believe that there is one God. He's like, good. Even the devils believe that. Even the devils believe that. Why is that important to us? Oh my goodness. Y'all might not like me in a minute, but but we're gonna be okay, right? Even those watching online, that you're a little, it's easier for you to just log off, hit exit, but don't do that, stay with me. The argument James is presenting, it's it's compelling, and and you can see that James and Paul, they they meet at the bridge of what I told you, faith. They meet there. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself by love, that we eagerly await by faith. James says it's faith. Faith is the thing that's going to motivate our actions. Faith is the thing that's going to cause us to be called righteous like Abraham. He gave us evidence to it. And so when you keep it in context and you keep it to what what the scripture is teaching us, if we're gonna live a liberated life, if we're gonna live a life that says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, if we're gonna live that life, if we're gonna live the life where it says the, the anointing of the Lord breaks the yoke, we're gonna live that life, you're gonna do it through faith and nothing more. That's what you're gonna do it through. And that is so critical for us. But here's, here's what comes with faith, the expression. Paul just he sums it up with one word, he's like he's like the expression of faith. James gives us an idea of what expression looks like. Are, are you with me? So like he says, the expression of faith that comes through love. But James starts breaking down what this expression looks like. The expression is if you see someone in need and you tell them, oh, I'm going to pray for you and you just go send them on their way, there's no expression of faith there. If, if someone is is, is is burdened and brokenhearted and, and you're like, oh, I feel for you, but you're not you're not carrying the burden with them, there's no expression of faith there. But when there's an expression of faith, then, then not only are you going to meet the need of the person that has need, but you're gonna go the extra mile. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, listen, if someone, if someone needs uh, you know, your coat, then give it to them. Then give it to them. That's expression of faith. That's the expression that, that the scripture teaches us to live by. That's grace. That's what grace is. That's what it looks like. It's, it's, it's out of our own way and letting the spirit live through us, right? So expressions of faith are things like evangelism. When it's an expression of your faith, you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. As David said, when he's talking to those people, can we just pray with you? And they're losing their mind because why? They, they think it's the end of the world, could be the end of the world. And they don't have this relationship with God. They're acknowledging that, that their spiritual life is disconnected from the Lord. They need an expression of faith that comes from you. There are people that you are in relationship with that, that you can express your faith. Works like caring for the poor, that's an expression of faith. Works to building the kingdom of God, it's an expression of faith. Generosity is an expression of faith. Love is an expression of faith. Hospitality is an exp- Are you getting this? Are you getting how this works? When, our, when we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, there's an expression to our faith. Let me tell you how Abraham expressed his, expressed his faith. James told us. Jesus, I mean, God said, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. Here's the expression of his faith. He loads up and he goes on a journey with his son. That's an expression of faith. You remember when I told you earlier when we were taking the tithe? I'm like, the tithe, the the resources of your life, giving it to God is an expression of your faith. You can't have faith in God and no good deeds. Impossible is what James is saying. Paul is saying you can't even come into the kingdom of God unless it's through faith. So those of us that think that we can just be part of the kingdom of God and do no, no work in the kingdom of God, we're deceiving ourselves. We're like the demons who believe and shudder, we're no different. Faith is the fuel to transformation. Listen, the Bible is not trying to modify us, but instead it's trying to transform us. That's what the gospel does, it transforms our lives. It doesn't modify us, it doesn't make the best you now. That's not what the gospel is all about. If we, if we want a moral modification, then, then, then we're going to attempt to live by the law. We're gonna attempt to try to do everything right. We're gonna attempt to try to cross the T's and dot our I's, and sooner or later, we're gonna fall short on that. That's modification. Transformation is this relationship that happens through faith. When you believe in God, when you trust in God, and your faith is activated and saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, then there's this. Transformation that happens in our life. The Bible calls it sanctification. There's this there's this moving from glory to glory. You are now a different person. And, and we see this image in, in Jeremiah, you know, when the potter's at the wheel, we see the clay that's marred. We see we see the potter working, and then the clay it, it becomes it becomes unusable. But God says he's gonna use the same piece of clay and he makes it into a new vessel. That's the idea of, of, of being born again. You're the same piece of clay that's being made and transformed into a new vessel. You're not modified. <laughs> You're transformed. Paul says it this way He says, For anyone who's in Christ Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come. You, you are a new creature. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it, and we're coming to an end here. I don't don't know if we're playing music at the end of service these days. Are we doing that? Because I know we can't. I don't. I want us to pray for one another, but but I don't. I don't want to really get us close together. But uh, if we are, then worship team, come. If not, then oh well. But here here it is. I I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book called *Mere Christianity*. If you've never read anything from C.S. Lewis, pick up this book, *Mere Christianity*, and 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 his thoughts are just challenging you. I think you'll enjoy him. One of, one of my favorite authors to study. And he said, at the very end of his book, he has this, he has the title of this chapter called Nice People, New Men. And he says, a world of nice people content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, just would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. <laughs> Think about that. That's like Jesus saying, that it's hard for the righteous to get in, I mean, the, the, a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's like, they're hard, it's hard for them to be saved. You ever met a nice person who thinks they're a very good person and they're like, they don't need, they don't need salvation. They're, they're a good, they're good. That's what he's saying there. For mere improvement is not redemption. (laughs) Modification, right? Mere improvement is not redemption. Though redemption always improves people, even here and now, and will, in the end, improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. My goodness, isn't that that amazing? Like like what we're learning here today is I don't have to live by a, a list of rules, but there are a list of rules that keep me in check. And the reason I don't have to live by a list of rules is because my faith in God is going to check my heart when I start violating these rules. No one has to tell my children <laughs> they have broke a rule in my house. No one. My children know when they've done something to violate the rules of the house. And they know it to the point where if, we, if I'm not home and I come home and, and I could just look at them and they, I just know that they did something that was in violation to what they've been taught. Right? You have that ability with children. It's like, what did you do? Like, what? No, what did you do? What? Don't what, me? I can see it all over your face. Like, what did you do? And then they tell you, right? Usually has to do something with, with their horrible driving. Like I hit a pole or I scratched the car and I, and, and you know how I know because when I, when I get out of my vehicle and I walk past theirs, I always do this this little car check, right? I'm like, okay, that's a new scratch. That's a new bump. Like, where, like where, where do, how are these kids driving, running into curbs, hitting things? And so I walked in and I'm like, Amber, there's, there's some new scratches on your car. She's like, I know. I'm like, well, if you know, like how did it get there? I don't know, I just, I, it just showed up. I'm like, just showed up. One day you just woke up and there's scratches on your car. That's how it goes. It's like, no, it didn't just show up. You were somewhere, you did something, you hit something, you rubbed against something. Like, you know, she knows, she violated. She did, she wasn't, she wasn't a good driver. Kind <laughs> of like poor Amber. Everyone's making mental notes. Do not let Amber drive your car. That's what you're saying. <laughs> in parking lot, yes. But when I come in, I can tell the immediate engaging, right? Why? Because we're in we're in a we're in a covenant relationship. We're in an intimate relationship. She's my daughter, I'm her father. It's the same with God. When you engage your relationship with God through faith, it's called being born again, you are now in this relationship with him that that when you start reading his word and studying his word, things start just challenging your life. And it's like the father coming into the house going, why is there a new scratch on the car? how it works. There's nothing that you can do. Here, I love the way Paul says it in, in, in Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Right? He says, that's how you used to live. He's talking to Gentiles. All of us In order that in the coming age that he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. Through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For even for we who are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. He doesn't eliminate the good works. He says, "He says, good works comes after you've come into the kingdom of God. Because you're in the kingdom of God, you are now producing good works. Do you see how that works? And and so, which prepared in advance for us to do. Nowhere in 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 scripture you're going to find that the law is 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 to be completely eradicated from your life. When you hear that, it, it's." They're talking about ceremonial laws. They're talking about civil laws. They're not talking about the law of Moses because you cannot take the law of Moses and get it, and, and remove it from your life. It's part, but faith helps us live out the, the commandments of God. Faith, by grace, we are faith, we are, we are saved. And so as a result of that, as a result of our faith, as a result of surrendering, it, it's, it's, it produces this intimate relationship with God. And like any relationship that you are in, it's organic and it grows, it grows. And if your relationship with God's not growing, then it's dead. It's either alive or dead. There's no in between with God. So where are you? See, living living in liberty and having life is having faith in God, trusting him in every aspect of life. And when you do that, it brings this freedom. Freedom from sin and death.